Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Today's guided meditation continues on from the earlier session we conducted with the focus on having a dirty Dhamma practice. In this guided meditation we were looking at where we still can't see as we're practicing Dhamma, trying to manifest the Buddha's teachings, where we still go wrong. Whether it's with our Kalyanamittas, spiritual friends, our Dhamma teachers, fellow retreatants, in our Dhamma circles and Dhamma groups, and all the good things associated with Dhamma practice. So we remind ourselves why we are doing this meditation. We're not trying to become super clean, good people, although that may be part of the end result. But it's not the main reason. The main reason is because in order to progress on this path, to develop and manifest fully the teachings of the Buddha to clear the mind of things which are obstructing us from fully knowing and realizing what the Buddha means, what he actually taught. We have to abandon or rid ourselves of these smelly, filthy nasty defilements. From the earlier meditation, we saw some of the areas where it creeps in, where we may not have looked before or persisted in trying to clean up. All of us have a way of sweeping things under the carpet, allowing things to fester, not owning up. So this meditation and the other one with the Dhamma focus is really our opportunity together to clean it up, to look where it's hard to look, and to give all of ourselves a chance of being better Dhamma practitioners who join into Dhamma circles, Dhamma groups, maybe leading Dhamma sessions, teaching, wanting to teach. If we don't follow what the Buddha says, it's very hard for us to grow, to progress. And we are not suvacha. We're not easy to instruct. 
we're not easy to give feedback to. And we stagnate, veer off the path, or we don't grow. So have this in mind as we go through the other parts of the Vatubhama Sutta, the other upakilesas, defilements, mental stains. Have that in mind. If there are examples that are painful or they strike a chord, really look at it. Really focus the attention of the meditation there within this guided meditation and outside this meditation. Think of it as a blessing to start to see what one can't or refuses to see. Think of it as removing the obstacles, removing the blocks. And if you take it in this way, the path starts to really unfold. There'll be gladness in the mind. The mind will experience great pleasure. The body will relax and become tranquil. And there'll be a deeper happiness. It's not Nibbana. But it's something that helps you to concentrate the mind. And from that place you can discern and realize truth from Buddha's teachings. So get comfortable. Relax the mind. And let's begin. Let's now examine fraud, sateya, it's often called trickery, cheating, craftiness, comes from a place where we end up cheating others out of something. We gain something from the trickery, from the fraud of it. There's an underlying or overt dishonesty that comes with this particular mental stain. It leads to particular behaviours which are dishonest with others. Now in Dhamma, if you were to ask someone, do you commit fraud? Are there fraudulent, dishonest thoughts in one's mind? And the answer would always be, no, of course not. I'm a good person. However, when you actually start to peel away the layers, you start to look at it as within 
all these mental stains, you start to see that there is this level of dishonesty that can permeate one's practice and manifest in one's life. In normal life, we talk about cheating on tests, in sports, um, cheating in doing business, those sorts of things, even cheating family members and friends. You hear it when people lose money out of something you've said or done, or they've lost other things. But when it comes to Dhamma, the fraud that happens is in some ways more deep because we jeopardize our practice and our good standing with people when there is this fraudulent mental stain and it leads to fraudulent behavior. So what are some examples? The first one that comes to mind is when we are leading Dhamma groups or we are the Dhamma teacher and in our minds we don't feel like we're being dishonest when we think about certain things. But when we behave a particular way and we behave in front of people, and we behave in a particular way in front of people that isn't completely true. So we might walk a particular way when we're around our students or we might speak a particular way in front of our students and fellow teachers. And it's in a way that tries to demonstrate that we have more mindfulness than we really do. That our speech is more kind and gentle and wholesome than it really is. And what's behind it is actually in order to gain this or maintain the good standing in front of our students and fellow teachers. And also in order to receive gifts, offerings, But it's done with a clear purpose in mind. A clear intent. And that's where it makes it slightly different from when you don't really know. You often find hypocrisy and fraud together. Like you see it in the Anumana Sutta when Venerable Mahamukalana talks about the different qualities when it comes to being duvacha, not easy to instruct, not easy to speak to, not easy to give feedback to, 
not easy to give instruction to. And one of the main reasons that it's a mental stain, it's unwholesome, is because when you're dishonest and when you gain something from others out of the dishonesty, what do people think when they find out? Because you do get found out eventually. The first thing is that people are shocked. And then the second one is people get angry. And then the third one is that they can't trust you. With this mental stain, you never think that you're going to get caught. But in Dhamma, when it comes to this, one is always being observed by fellow students, fellow teachers, the teachers, Kalyanamittas, even so-called enemies in Dhamma, complete strangers in the Dhamma. We're always being observed, assessed, measured, particularly when it comes to Sekas. Another example might be you get accused of something and in that moment that you're accused, you move my cushion, you took something from the kitchen, you took away some of those books that we were going to offer to other people, something was taken from the retreat room, main hall, all kinds of accusations in Dhamma, at Dhamma events, whatever it may be. But the example is that when you get accused and say you inadvertently did it or you purposely did it, you try to hide it. So that's one example. The second could be that you actually name somebody else who didn't do it. And by doing that, again, one is being quite bad. Because this mental stain can be so unwholesome that it causes you to do more unwholesome by body and speech. There are many ways we are dishonest in our practice and it's important to have a look and dig a little deeper to see where we are, aren't being so dishonest. Where we are being so dishonest. Where maybe it's linked with hypocrisy. You know, this deception and craftiness and then it leads to also trickery and cheating others.
The questions to ask are, do I do things that are dishonest and cheat others? And by cheating others, am I gaining something from them that I otherwise wouldn't have gained if I wasn't dishonest? Have I faked something or distorted someone's perception in order to gain something from them? Can I see the extension from stinginess where I'm trying to hold on to something I value and I'm prepared to trick or cheat in order to hold on to it? It could be Vannamacharya coming from a place of trying to hold on to good reputation by any means. It could be from Dhammamacharya trying to hold on to Dhamma views. There can be some trickiness or craftiness when it comes to being very protective of Dhamma views and the fraud or the dishonesty that can come from it. It may also be where you pretend to hold a higher sealer because you know that you get more offerings, more respect. when you don't touch money. So you could be on 10 precepts, be a trainee, going into the temple, could be a monastic. And when you're away from the crowd that is usually offering you or being around you, then you actually do touch money. And if people were to find out, it's actually shocking. People get very disappointed and hurt and then very angry. And then they realize they can't trust. And then they want to accuse and abandon. So when you take a deeper look 
And these are not the only examples, there's more. But I think one has to really investigate for oneself to be really honest and to look at it with the intention that if one can actually dig a little deeper, expose where this mental stain, any other mental stain exists, where it's been acted on in the past or will be in the present or potentially in the future, then you want to see that it's very detrimental to the path, it's akusala. One has to actually admit that it's akusala. And then one has to actually look at what if I were to see it in somebody else? And when you see something like fraud, craftiness, trickiness, dishonesty, cheating, for gain, for fame, for respect, and all these different reasons, then you actually don't want to be around that person. It's horrible. It goes beyond pettiness that you normally find in mental defilements and it becomes really, really horrible. Particularly when it manifests into verbal action, physical action, and actual loss to others. And so when you have it in yourself, you need to look at it from that attitude that this person, if they were to see this in me, they would not just only find it disagreeable and disappointing and upsetting. They would actually probably turn away in normal life corruption and fraud are things that people want to take to the courts to be judged upon to be sent to prison to be fined and so in the Dhamma world it's a similar thing people will want to banish you will want to ostracize you, remove you from Dhamma circles, Dhamma groups, Dhamma teachings, being a Dhamma teacher. And you see that in the history of all kinds of religion, including Buddhism. One of the main reasons the Buddha was highly esteemed amongst many, if not a great majority of people during his time is because when you read the suttas, particularly the longer ones in the Diganikaya, the Brahmajala Sutta, the Samanyapala Sutta, you see that Buddha was respected and esteemed because he had impeccable conduct body, speech and mind. What they list out is quite amazing for that time. And if Buddha was here in this time, it would be equally if not more amazing given how society has declined. And so when you look at it that way, 
when you look at us as sakers and particularly in this guided meditation where these are the things we can't really see or we've avoided looking at, ignored even, then you realize that there is some work to be done. That there is a real blessing in seeing faults because these are the things that may be inhibiting, preventing our practice to grow, preventing harmony within our Dhamma circles, within our communities and Dhamma groups, with our spiritual friends, with our teachers, with our students. And if we can correct it by seeing it as Akusala, and wanting to abandon it, wanting to cultivate the opposite, non-treachery, non-cheating, non-fraud, honesty, then the path opens up. When we say that this is an honesty practice, it means it's not imbued with fraud. And sometimes when we cling to Dhamma, that's where the fraud starts to take hold. And if we're keen on helping others, then we can't afford to have this mental stain or to manifest from this place of defilement. When you think about the qualities of Hiri and Otapa, Hiri is feeling very good, wholesome shame, the one that prevents you from doing wrongdoing. And then fear of wrongdoing, Otapa, it's like you know the consequences, you know there is karmic repercussions from doing unwholesome things. So these are also things that we can apply when we're looking at mental stains. That there is more gravity to when we have poor sila in our minds and then it leads to poor verbal sila, poor physical sila. We can also use that. And when you start to see the suffering, the pain, the repercussions of everything, the bigger picture, the mind actually wants to be liberated from all of this. There's so much work and heaviness in the mind in order to be deceptive, to cheat, to be dishonest. 
to remember how one was dishonest to carry on the play of dishonesty, of fraud. And so we want to let the mind to be free of all of that, to lighten it, lift it, lift it in order to see what must be seen. When it is caught up in evil ways, evil thoughts, akusala, unwholesome, unskillful, defilements, hindrances, all these things are a huge barrier to the concentration that Buddha encourages, samasamadhi. The enlightenment factors don't activate. So in this meditation, when we remove this dishonesty, this fraud, There can be gladness when it is not there, when it has no intention to cultivate or breed this defilement. And the mind can get so happy sometimes with this honesty. It can feel like it's weeping, weeping with rapture to be freed of it. To now join the noble ones in this moment of not having such a filthy, awful, stain, blemish. The mind doesn't get depressed. It gets quite happy and content when it does proper good. When it doesn't have to swim in defilement. When it lets go of all of that, and the body begins to relax, to grow calm, tranquil. concentrate
Let's end the meditation here and share the merit and all the blessings of today's meditation with all sentient beings. May all beings be well. May all beings be free from suffering. And may all beings find the right view. Wishing you all well. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Peruan Saranai.